Hello and welcome to the Quadcast. I am John McAlevey. I thank you for hopping onto the podcast, which is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. I sure hope that this next hour will be your weekly session of OT and PT for the soul. Now, as you frequent flyers here on the Quadcast know, with my opens, I usually riff about our previous episode and then provide an in-depth preview of what you're about to hear, and that usually takes some time. But today I'm changing this up, and that's because I have two featured guests who have an amazing story to tell. Well, it's actually three stories wrapped into one. A tragic story that has become an inspirational story, which then grew into a love story. So make sure your seats back and your tray tables are in their full upright position, because Jared and Hannah Nieder are here to tell us all about themselves. And that, my friends, is next. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. And we are back on this very special edition of the Quadcast. And I say that because today we are having two guests for the price of one. Yes, the aforementioned Jared and Hannah Nieder are here. And I thank them for carving some time out of their very busy schedules. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having us. Hi, Hannah. Hello. I'm glad you could join us as well. This is awesome. We've been trying to put this together for some time and it finally came together. And uh, usually like what I like to do with my shows is begin at the beginning because I know that these spinal cord injuries that we've sustained do not in any way define who we were and who we are. And so let's start at the beginning. Jared, where did you grow up and what were some things that you enjoyed doing as a young person? Well, Hannah might argue that I have yet to grow up, <laughs> but I'm from Lawrence, Kansas. And, um, you know, I, I say I'm from, from Lawrence, Kansas. You know, my parents are from there. My grandparents are from there. Um, very intertwined in the community there. And I grew up working in construction. You know, my dad started a construction business right around the time I was born. And uh, we grew up doing that together. Or I grew up doing that with him. And I really enjoyed spending a lot of time with my dad. You know, I, I was one of the little boys that idolized his father. And I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time with him growing up and working in Kansas. Yeah. Now, Lawrence, Kansas, that's uh, Jayhawk territory, isn't it? Yes, sir. You're talking to a couple of very big Jayhawks fans now. Okay. And they're coming off a national championship. 
hopefully going to repeat. <laughs> I tell you, I'm a basketball junkie. I, I coached basketball, youth basketball here in New Jersey for 20 years. And um, I'm a Providence College grad and we have a top 25 program too. So it's college hoops is, is running long and strong here. It sounds like with this crew, right? Oh yeah. That's what gets us through the winters. You know, as a quad, I'm sure, you know, uh, the oh. winters are not fun and college basketball is what gets me through. Yeah. It's fun. And it's, we're coming into our favorite time of the year, you know, late February and March madness will roll around. And, uh, it's a, it's a terrific, you know, three to four week period. We, we really look forward to that. I know at least I do. Oh, we definitely do. The conference races are heating up. You know, we're, we're really big on watching the big 12 and how all the teams do. Um, and the ACC as well. So yeah, this is just a fun time of year for us. Awesome. I'm glad we have that in common because it's uh, a lot of the people that I, I speak to when I talk about college hoops, their their eyes sort of glaze over. They're more of like the NFL <laughs> and the Super Bowl stuff. They want to watch the commercials, but this is good. We're, we're kindred spirits here with college basketball. That's great. Oh, absolutely. All right. So you're working a lot with your dad. Is that now what, you, what you're doing as, you know, I'd say grown up. You said you haven't grown up yet, but, you know, in your 20s and so early 20s, is that basically what you're doing? with your life yeah yeah i was working with my dad we were in construction and uh that that was the focus okay terrific and i know that uh i had uh my dad who uh passed in 2015 he was my hero as well and uh i loved doing anything that i could do with him and uh working and whatnot was part of that so um now that we're in our 20s and so i i hate to bring you to it but why don't you tell myself and uh and our audience about the day that changed your life what do you remember prior to it uh during the accident and in the immediate aftermath yeah so uh you know i was in my like i say in my late 20s when i had my accident and we were you know uh, we had gotten to mexico we were on family vacation and when i first jump in the water i'm sure most people can relate to this but it's just cold when you first get in the water so I had uh, thrown down, I had a Bluetooth speaker that was playing uh, Jay-Z, which ends up being pertinent later in the story. <laughs> but uh, I had thrown that down on the beach and I just went sprinting towards the waves to try to dive, dive in and get over that cold that first happens when you jump in. Um, and unbeknownst to me, I dove right into a sandbar. Oh. And uh, I was, the next thing I remember, I was motionless, but I was face down in the water and I could feel the waves kind of brushing me up against whatever I had hit. Hmm. Uh, but I could my arms or anything. And I had just, you know, I, in my head, I kept saying, you know, just hold your breath. It was very calm. Uh, the, you know, the chemicals pumping through your body when an accident like that happens, I'm not a calm person, hmm. but in that moment I was very calm. Um, and it was just kind of like, you know, you better hold your breath or you're going to die. Yeah. And how did did I mean, did somebody come to your aid and what was what was the next thing that happened? Did was it your family member, a lifeguard, somebody that was in the water at the time? Well, yeah, it was uh, both. Actually, my brother had lifeguard training um, and he was down there with me and he had seen me face down in the water. And he thought I was joking. Um, and I don't remember this, but he came over and he picked me up. And all I was able to say was in trouble. And then his training kicked in and he was able to safely get me on the beach. And while they were stabilizing me there. Um, a nurse just happened to be watch, walking by and she uh, actually held my head still while my brother ran to get my family, my parents. 
Oh my goodness. So the, the day that started out as swimming in, in the Mexican, you know, in Mexico with your family turns into tragedy and that's, but thank goodness your brother was there and you said the lifeguard uh, was able to help you out. And, and from there, Jared, where do they take you? Did they take you to uh, a hospital there in Mexico? And then, and then how soon uh, did they get you back to the States? Yeah, so uh, I was in Playa del Carmen, and they took me to the nearest hospital, and they just stitched my head up and then shipped me to Cancun. Uh, and then in Cancun, they uh, they held my parents. They made my parents max out their credit cards. Uh, we had friends down there that had to meet them with cash and able to get me treated in the hospital. Oh um, really a corrupt, not friendly system. Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. That's unconscionable, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it was really wild. And, you know, I was down there for a couple of days because I had to have my, my fusion down there. I was too unstable to travel without getting the fusion done. And then when the air ambulance team came down to get me, uh, they planned for this. This is stuff that they're used to. They brought money to pay off people at the hospital. They had to pay off security guards. They had to pay off people at the airstrip and at the uh, airport. It was really kind of wild. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard anything like that. That to me is amazing. And so then how long are you there? Uh, how long is it before uh, the, the, the air bus comes to get you and bring you back here? And then where did they take you initially when you got back to the States? Yeah, so uh, it was about three days that I was in Mexico before we were able to get everything set up and I was stable enough to transfer. And then I was very, very lucky that I was able to go straight to Craig Hospital. Mm -hmm. So I went straight to Swedish, which is adjacent to Craig. And then uh, after I was medically stable enough, I transferred straight to Craig Hospital and had a bed there. Awesome. Tell me about Craig. I've interviewed a bunch of people that have been there. Tell me about your experience at Craig. What sticks out uh, the most to you from your time there? And uh, how long were you there? I was there almost four months. Yeah, I had kind of a complicated situation where my hips dislocated. And so we had some extra things we had to figure out. But I feel that I am very fortunate that I got to do my inpatient stay at Craig. Uh, and it doesn't have to necessarily be Craig, but just a spinal cord injury specific hospital that focused on that. Uh, they really gave me a base of knowledge and, and taught me how to take care of myself and advocate for myself, which I think has been invaluable uh, along this journey. No doubt. No doubt. Now tell me, Jared, how important were family and friends to your recovery? Were, were your friends able to get to come and see you from, from Kansas and from whereabouts, uh, wherever they were living? Did you have that, um, you know, support system behind you? Yeah, I, I'm very lucky in that, that I come from a very tight knit community and growing up in Kansas, everybody loves going to Denver to go skiing. And I got hurt in the middle of winter and I, I got a bunch of buddies that were coming up on ski trips that would come see me. I had people coming to visit me. I, I was very lucky in the support that I received. So you were the and convenient excuse to go skiing, right? Hey, our friend Jared got banged up. Let's go skiing and we'll see him on the way, right? Right. Yeah. And the whole time I was inpatient, my, my mother stayed with me to take care of me uh, and, you know, just incredibly supportive. Her, you know, she helped my dad run the family business and she moved the office to my hospital room to support me and, and help me along the journey. So I, I'm very lucky in the support I've received. That's awesome. I, I have often told people that I could have never made it through something like this. I was 24 years old at the time of my accident and I rehabbed at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. I don't know if you've heard of that. We're here in uh, here in New Jersey, and for me, 
believe it or not, the building where I rehabbed and where I work these days is about three miles from where I grew up. It's amazing. And um, it's up on a hill. And I played numerous sports in high school. I played three sports. And we used to take our team buses, would go by Kessler all the time. And Jared and Hannah, I would never look up the hill. I never knew what went on up there. And little did I know, all those millions of times that we went by there, would that place become such a, um, you know, a pivotal pivotal place in my life for all these years, at least the last 30 years. And so, uh, well, I'm glad that Craig was able to to get you on the right path to, uh, to, to your new life. So, okay. All of a sudden now you're a 28 year old spinal cord injury survivor. What is the plan now? What are you thinking you're going to do with your life? You know, uh, really in those initial days, I, I don't feel like I had a plan. You know, you're, you're told that it's going to be up to two years until the swelling goes down. And so my plan was to fully recover and then figure things out after that. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as how about work wise, you were, you were, were you thinking down the road, like, geez, I, I can't really do construction anymore, but maybe you could work the phones or maybe you could, you could get involved in purchasing stuff. I mean, was that sort of the, the line of thinking or did you start to think, you know, maybe there's something I can do spinal cord world related? Yeah, that was, so my focus was totally on, on recovery and, and what I could do to be the healthiest version of myself. I didn't feel I had any time for that at the time. And then as I, as I progressed through my injury and then I start looking at employment more, I didn't feel that was something that, um, that, I, that I felt was appropriate to throw myself into. I felt if I dedicated myself to trying to do some of the work that I used to do, that uh, the rest of my life would suffer, uh, my health would suffer. And, you know, for that to be my focus, I didn't think that made sense. And I wanted to try to find something that would incorporate my new life into the big picture. Yeah, you're adapting. We have to adapt, right? It's something that we didn't ask for these things to happen to us, but, you know, they did. And now we have to sort of, okay, now we got to move in a different direction and tack the boat in a different way. And so it sounds like um, the, the right way to go. Now, how about, tell me now, what are the circumstances in which you met Hannah for the first time? And tell our viewers how that went. Well, you, you can't see it, but I'm grinning ear to ear right now. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, when I came down here to Kentucky, uh, obviously I had to find a whole new network of people to help take care of me and everything. And this person who was helping to take care of me happened to be one of Hannah's coworkers. And uh, she was nice at, uh, you know, trying to include me in some social things. And Hannah and I started meeting up and it was so obvious right at the beginning how my disability didn't really bother Hannah. Mm. You know, it, you know, I'm not going to say she didn't see it, but it, it just wasn't a, a, like a red flag or a deterrent to her. Yeah. And so, we, um, you know, she would she would approach me, you know, where other people might be afraid of me. Um, and she was always willing to engage me when we would be at uh, social events. And so we, we, you know, a friendship started there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, to be honest, I started, uh, I started lying to her and telling her <laughs> that uh, people that were going to help me out weren't going to show up. And if she could come help me out. Wink, wink, then, nod, nod, right? <laughs> exactly. And then if she would say yes, I would call whoever was supposed to come in and tell them that I didn't meet them. Anymore. Get lost. Get lost. <laughs> exactly. That's so great. there was a there was a lot of that on the back end going on that Hannah didn't know about. I can imagine. 
disclose that until many years after the oh, fact. Oh, yes. Well, Hannah, I'd be remiss. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and um, how did you make your way to Kentucky? Sure. So um, I'm a self-proclaimed army brat, but my father served in the army for 22 years, retired, and then has continued working on base at Fort Knox. So growing up, I was born in Korea on an army base, which means I can still be president one day. (laughs) I'd vote for you. (laughs) Um, But I only lived in Korea on the army base for about six months, and then we moved all around. So I moved about every two years growing up. And then we came to Fort Knox, which is about 40 minutes south of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, And I've grown up there for from, you know, middle school years through today. So, yeah, I attended the University of Louisville and started working here in a corporate world. And that's where I met Jared. You know, it's funny for so many years and I'll date myself, I'm 55 now. I've only known that city as Louisville. And then now all of a sudden it's Louisville. I hear everybody calling it Louisville. So that's what I go with. But um, so how did you work? Uh, or how did you find your way into, was it uh, the healthcare field and, and caregiving? Was that something that, you know, you went to school for, or is that something that just. Um, something I her into. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So the coworker of mine um, that also assisted Jared, you know, on weekends or evenings, um, you know, didn't really do much of the, you know, bowel program, anything like that. She mainly helped Jared, you know, transfer from bed to chair. And so she didn't really have nursing background either. Okay. So what you may not know about Louisville <laughs> is ah, that... Yes. Big city, but it feels very much like a small town. So everybody knows everybody here. Mm-hmm. And her, my coworker's best friend from high school, actually worked with Jared at the hospital. She was his tech. Oh, so what a small world. All originated, yeah. And I actually was sourcing natural gas. I was in the corporate world. I had zero nursing experience. I was not in any kind of medical field. Um, I am in procurement and sourcing and, you know, sourcing natural gas, electric power, renewable energy mm-hmm. when I met Jerry. Oh my gosh. You know yeah, something, so- you know, Kahana, not to interrupt, but it almost is apropos because family members that, that have someone that in their family that have a spinal cord injury, they know nothing about bowel programs and catheters and, you know, weight shifting and all of that kind of stuff. So it sounds like, you know, you, you were like somebody that was going to fit right in here. Yeah. You know, and I know Jared was always nervous about dating and really it started as a friendship. I was actually supposed to travel for two years, you know, and this was, you know, a couple months before I met Jared, but mm-hmm. I had no interest in dating. And so we really started off as a friendship. And then I realized he needed help or some people would call out and we were spending more time together. And, you know, I know he was always concerned about his night bag or his catheter or different things. And, you know, I definitely noticed it and it was something that I wasn't familiar with and it was very much different for me, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a huge deal. And I know that Jerry was very self-conscious about it. And I feel like we're all, way. We are always our worst critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there did, there was that one time where Jared's morning help called out. So I drove over there and that was my first experience with a bowel program and it didn't go perfectly, but <laughs> I 
Yeah, I do remember, you know, I have never been in that kind of situation, never cared or was a caregiver for anybody else. You so never helped in the poop? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> so I got him into our chair. Um, you know, he was able to walk me through all the steps. But I will say, you know, I I was a little taken aback and it was very difficult. I didn't want him to see that I was struggling with like the smell or anything like that. So I put a towel on the back of his shower chair so I could kind of bury my face in it if I felt like, you know, so, but I just remember that very distinctly and it's gotten so much easier now. You know, it's like no big deal. We do it every single morning and it's just part of our routine, but it is, you know, there's a lot of different things to learn. And at first it's very overwhelming and it seems like, you know, just changing is super pubic. I'm like, I am sticking this inside of your body. Like, yeah. no way. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. I can remember when I was first in injured and I was in the hospital and was having friends come to visit. I was mortified. I would tell the nurses, please, for the love of God, put a sheet over my bag. I don't want anybody seeing my bag full of urine here, you know, right. especially if it was, it was a girl that would be coming in. And so, um, you know, and then those first, those first times that uh, I was in rehab and the nurses would come in and they would go to put a suppository in my rear end. It's like, oh my God, is this really happening? Like, this is what my life is, has devolved into. And, you know, some of the nurses were, you know, I would say, again, I was 24 at the time. They were, you know, older and I'm not going to say unattractive, but then, then again, there were some young girls that was like, oh my God, she's beautiful. And she's going to have to put her, you know, fingers around my rear end. And I just, I can't imagine, you know, you guys, and then forming a, a relationship out of it to me is is amazing how that comes together yeah it, it kind of blows my mind too but i also think you know we, we were really able to form a relationship at a much deeper level you know uh yeah so i think you know if not that there weren't a lot of challenges but if you're able to get through it i, I think you're a lot stronger for it sure sure now um before um meeting hannah did you have you know, interest in dating again? I mean, did you try? Did you, um, did you ask anybody out or I know that, listen, I'm 55 and I'm still single, so it hasn't worked for me yet. And I can't say that I didn't throw myself at every one of my PTs and OTs for the last 30 years. Um, and so I, I, there were even times where I thought to myself, you know, this freak thing happened to me and what, like, why did it happen? And then I started to think maybe it was because I was supposed to be put in this position where I'm going to meet somebody that's going to be my soulmate for the rest of my life. And I started to talk myself into that. And then, you know, here I am 30 years later and it hasn't happened for me yet. But, um, did you, did you start to think about dating again before you met Hannah? Not really. You know, there was, there was a couple times where, you know, certain people might've been interested and, and I was spending some time with people, but I just did not see myself as somebody that was even eligible to be a partner at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really, I, I was so focused on, on rehab and what I was doing to get better. I, I did not see myself as even being a potential partner for someone until I met Hannah, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, you know, Jared, I think that a lot of people in our community feel that way. They just, 
with all the baggage that comes along with it. It's not just the, you know, I can't walk anymore or I can't, you know, get a fork up to my face or button my shirts and stuff like that. It's just what we've been talking about. It's the bowel program. It's the bladder. It's the, the blood pressure. It's, it's the function. It's not driving. It's not having a job. It's all, you know, all the things that add up to the things that I, I think a woman deserves, you yeah. know, or a partner of, of any sex. Right. You, like know? you so can't open the door. You can't pull a chair out, all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. And I hate that. Yeah. I, I, I would, there's nothing I would love more than to open the door for him, you yeah. know, but you know, here we are. Here you are. And, and it's something that I'm sure you've talked to tons of people in the community that, that feel exactly that way. And so what they ultimately do is they, they don't put themselves out there. You know, it's, especially nowadays, I have some friends that, you know, people are meeting, they're not meeting at the bar and on a Friday nights anymore. They're doing a lot of online stuff. And how do you slip in there? You know, you put a picture of yourself and you say, here's my likes and dislikes. And, oh, by the way, I might go to the bathroom on myself in the middle of dinner. You know, how do you kind of slip that in there? You know, I, I think, oh, I don't know that you, you'd slip that in, but I think so many people are just hyper-focused on, you know, like like how I was before, um, before I met Hannah, you know, I'm going to get better and then I'm going to live my life. I think there's so many people that are like, I'm going to find someone and then I'm going to live my life. And, and you really, you just got to figure out who you are and move forward as that person. And then your partner is going to come into the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And Hannah, would, would you say that you are somebody, obviously somebody who is not squeamish about stuff. So that's first and foremost, but was it, but was it the fact that it was Jared and he was such a great guy and, and that you had this chemistry and all of the above that, you know, you were able to overlook all of the baggage as we like to say, and, and fall for him and ultimately marry him. Is that, is that what it was? It was just, it was the person you know, inside of what was happening there. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think what really sets that apart is because I always was like an overachiever. That's my whole story from, you know, I was always a person getting 4.0s and above, never missed a day of school. State always track champion also. <laughs> always had nice. side jobs and stuff. So I came to the point in my life after, you know, a five-year relationship through college, and then I had another like long-term relationship after that. I was like, I, I want to live a little. I and really enjoyed traveling internationally. I would do solo traveling. I would travel with some college friends, but, you know, I, you know, felt like I had just always been on this hamster wheel. And so I had determined that I was going to take two years off of work I was saving and saving and saving to be able to do this, but um, I wanted to go explore a little bit, have some freedom, live a little bit. So I was really in a different kind of mindset. Definitely yeah. not one, you know, would involve another person, especially somebody who might need care for. And so I think it was really just the friendship that we started and it grew very organically, but very, very quickly. Sure. And, um, when I was leaving for my travels, my parents were actually supposed to be watching my dog. And that's where Jared really cemented his move mm. <laughs> and said he would watch Belle for me. Yeah, okay. I didn't know she would come back for me, but I knew she would come back for her dog. So if I could get possession of the dog, I would see her again. <laughs> God, I like the way you think, Jared. 
<laughs> you are a devious mind, but I love that. That's terrific. So why don't you? I think yeah. Zone Hitch Two, Hitch Part Two, dating dating show. Yes, well, without a doubt. And uh, speaking well, of dogs, I just got. I've had for a year now. I got a service dog from Canine Companions. And uh, he's amazing. His name is Jokin and he helps me with tons of stuff because I'm, uh, like we spoke about, my hands uh, and arms really don't work. So I drop stuff constantly. So he's able to pick things up off the floor for me. He can open doors and um, he turns on lights and he just does so many amazing things. And and on top of that, he's as handsome as can be. So he's a chick magnet. I'm hoping that he's going to help me out one of these days and uh, help his daddy find uh, his significant other one of these days. It's not going to hurt. <laughs> no, it's not going to hurt. So Hannah, why don't you take us, tell us about, um, take us through what a day in the life is like uh, in the Nieder household, what you do, what you help Jared with, and, um, you know, basically what it all entails. Sure. So Jared per- participates in a clinical trial here. So he's in spinal cord injury research at uh, the UofL Hospital, Fraser Rehab Hospital. And we start our morning around 7 a.m. every single morning. Jared is very much a creature of habit, loves schedules. So I think that's really important because we used to have care, or Jared used to have caregivers before I came into the picture. And then I slowly took over responsibilities because caregivers would oftentimes call in knowing that. I was available and I could be here to help Jared. So they would call in the mornings, but I was still working a full-time job. So I didn't like that uncertainty. And that's why I just slowly took over more and more responsibilities before I determined like, I'm okay with these responsibilities as long as it's on that schedule. And, you know, I know that, you know, fire drills will always come our way, but if we are organized and on this schedule, then we can deal with those fires as they come. Yep. And I'm sure that so, was perfect with you, Jared. Yes. I, <laughs> I love my... Yeah, <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, so we start our day at 7 a.m. I get the shower chair out. We start bowel program. And since I'm the one doing it every day, we've gotten very efficient with it. So... Hannah's a person that she's good at everything that she does. It's... You know, I love her, but it's kind of annoying when you're living with someone that's good at everything. It's perfect, right? (laughs) But so we've gotten our bowel program down to about 40 minutes. Um, So that's two suppositories. I get him started with the first one. I make our coffee, which we have the same coffee. Again, we are very regimented. So (laughs) we have coffee with fiber and protein in the mornings just to get our systems going. Sure. And then we also do our athletic greens in the morning as well. So then we do, you know, collagen, CoQ10, and vitamin C. Um, So I get all that ready while we're on the first 10 minutes of the first suppository. Okay. And... Then I just return to the bathroom. I can help get Jared through the rest of the bowel program while I am also getting ready because I start work as soon as Jared leaves the apartment. Mm-hmm. But again, like like I said, that takes about 40 minutes. And then I get Jared dressed, help him transfer over to his power wheelchair. You know, I you know, bandage whatever needs to be bandaged, help him get the rest of his accessories. He's got a lot of electronic equipment. Um <laughs> So we make sure to get all of that organized in his trunk and on his power wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And then he's pretty independent. So 
he'll head out of the apartment. We live downtown. So we're six minutes away from the hospital. I can literally see where he's going. Cool. And I have called him on occasion. Sometimes I watch him as he's taking our dog to the hospital <laughs> and he doesn't use crosswalks. Oh, so. boy. Jared, you're <laughs> so going to get jaywalking tickets. <laughs> Jay rolling, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for that. Yeah, so it's just funny because I'm like, it's okay if you want to get hit by a car, but you're not going to allow Belle to get hit by a car. <laughs> exactly. That prized Belle again, right? Right. Oh, Absolutely. no. So, so now um, after but, that, Hannah, do you, are you still working a full-time job or do you, are you just full-time now with, with Jared? Do you, do you then get him off on his way and then you go to work? Yes. Yep, I'm still working a full-time job. Oh my gosh. Still in the in the field <laughs> that you were talking about before? So no, right now I'm working for the Re Foundation, actually. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So, you know, after I became Jared's caregiver, we were together. I obviously felt a need to give back because, you know, the clinical trial that he's in, he's in the big idea study with epidural stimulation. Mm -hmm. And we just felt so grateful. Like I know Jared's always felt, you know, like he's, it's unfair that he's able to participate in this stuff and everybody can't have this because it has so profoundly affected his life in a positive way. Yeah. And um, we've always just been looking for ways to give back because we feel so lucky. Mm. And yes, we deal with our own challenges and frustrations. And sometimes life just seems really, really hard and overwhelming. But for the most part, I feel so lucky to be where we are in this spinal cord injury community. Yes. You know, where dating Jared, there were other people around us that were also wheelchair users. And we had other friends that were in similar situations. And so... Sometimes I question, would I still be with Jared if I met him in a different kind of environment? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we just really felt the need to give back. I started by running the New York City Marathon for Team Reeve and raising money for continued research. You know, they do a lot with outreach, which is what I'm doing now as a employee for the Reef Foundation. Mm -hmm. So now I am a peer mentor program coordinator, which essentially means that I talk to peers. I'm very much like boots on the ground. So I talk to, you know, people with paralysis. I talk to family members. I talk to friends, caregivers, spouses, you name it, whoever wants information or assistance. I talk to them, find resources and information for them through our paralysis resource center and then I ultimately want to be able to match them with a mentor that is as similar to them, you know, demographics, mobility, interests as possible. You know something, Hannah? It's funny you're saying that. Uh, you're talking to the peer mentor coordinator at Kessler Institute here in New Jersey. So that's that's what I do is I go around our hospital and I speak to newly injured folks and their parents. And I try to find someone who may have a similar, as close to a similar inner injury that they have that has been living in the community with it for a number of years and has kind of figured out what life is like again, just so that, you know, if they want to bounce some ideas or questions or concerns off of them. So it sounds like we're kind of doing the same thing here. That's very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh my goodness. So now I want to get into the um, spinal stimulation study stuff that you're doing, Jared, but I, I want to um, 
I also want to ask you guys about the term that that I see that you've used here, and that's interabled couple. So tell me what interabled couple means to you, and have you encountered more or less of them since you guys have been together? You know, it's kind of one of those uh, cringy terms. We kind of make fun of it every once in a while, interabled couple. Yeah. Um, yeah. Physically squirm when people say that. And I we use it because that it's applicable, right? Yeah. But it I just hate that people see me as able bodied and he's unable bodied. Right. <laughs> it's sort of morbid, yeah. It's kinda of morbid. Yeah. But yeah, that, that it is kind of weird that that's people see us and the whole focus is you're disabled and she's not. That's wild. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. It's kind of like, and, and I just use the word uh, morbid. I remember when I first got to Kessler and they said to me, John, so what did you do pre morbidly? And I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, well, before you had your accident. So I'm like, Oh, so you mean before this horrible thing destroyed my <laughs> life? What did I do? You know? So yeah. Interable. Well, have you, have you noticed, um, you know, more or less, are, are, are you, are you finding that you are not alone in this? I mean, I, I can tell that I know a couple of people back here, uh, back East that, um, uh, I have one of my OT friends, she's married to a para and they've just had, um, they have a couple of babies now. And I think somebody uh-huh. that we know, a couple that we know in common that you guys know from down in Louisville, they, uh, they are also married. So is it, it's, it's not something that's, um, you know, that you're not seeing too much of these days. I guess it's getting more and more prevalent. Yeah. And I think, you know, we very much put ourselves out into the community. We have that our social media channel and we do our best to advocate and, you know, show how we do things because I feel like a lot of people see those barriers and may not have, you know, either the resources that we do or may not have the time that we do to figure out how to travel or figure out different things. And we utilize social media a lot to learn how other people accomplish different tasks. Sure. So I feel like doing so, we have met a lot of families, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but also I feel like once you get into the spinal cord injury community, if you're, you know, wanting to be involved, wanting to get, you know, participate in different organizations as giving back or whatever you might want to do, the community gets very, very small, very quickly. I feel like there's a, a lot of people. Way. Yeah. In a great way. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people know each other. And so we, I feel like we have jumped, you know, both feet in into this community and, you know, wanting to give back, wanting to advocate, wanting to do what we can. And so because of that, we have met so many amazing people and mm-hmm. have learned so on the way too. Like we love asking other people questions, asking their advice, asking how, you know, they do different things. That specific couple that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, the individual with paralysis taught us how to fly and what he does to get his wheelchair prepared, ready, how he, um, just all the tips and tricks that make it easier and, you know, benefit from his experience. Right. right. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I learned that one a long yeah, time ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to that we are, are now friends and we can hopefully, you know, stay in touch and bounce a bunch of ideas off of each other because, um, you know, as you said, it's a tight knit community and, and all for one and one for all kind of a thing, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I work with Gail Forrest on some projects and I would love to see what's going on up at Kessler. So maybe we'll be able to come see you one of these days. That's terrific. And that leads me right into the spinal stimulation um, program that you're doing. It's something that I have been talking to my doctor, Dr. Kirschbloom here, um, that I've been dying to get involved in. And unfortunately for me, and I don't know whether this was anything that you had to in, uh, encounter, but I have been on baclofen for, for 30 some odd years. And they told me that baclofen is a non-starter for the for the uh, spinal stimulation program. So I don't know as to whether he told me they're going to try and do something where maybe uh, that's not the case, where they could try and squeeze people in that are on baclofen. But uh, at, at the time being, that is a non-starter for me. But tell me about not only how you heard about it and got involved in it, but what has it done to to make your life better since you've been involved? Yeah, when I was so when I was first injured and I was staying um, at Craig Hospital in Denver, was actually when the the first uh, round of stuff hit the media for epidural stimulation, and that's when Rob Summers uh, was first stimulated and was getting movement in his legs that was totally unexpected. And they had put together like a a magazine that was actually on a lot of the domestic flights. So when people were flying out to Denver, you know, they I had probably ten people grab that off the flight and bring it to my hotel room, you know. <laughs> Um, so I heard about it there and then, you know, just in my own research, trying to figure out what I can do, you know, there's not, there's not a lot available for guys like that. And it was, it was really, do I want to go to another country for, um, stem cells or do I want to give stimulation a shot here domestically? And my personal feeling is I'm not ready to, to do the stem cells. I don't think it's there yet, yeah. but this epidural stimulation that was very intriguing and it has benefited my life immensely. Mm. You know, it, it's not the cure, but it makes my life better. It's, uh, it's a whole body stimulation unit that I can turn on with a tablet. It gives me function that I don't have without it. It gives me bowel function, bladder function. It, I can tighten my core, uh, do sit-ups. I can move my legs. I can do squats. I can stand. I can increase my respiratory function. Hmm. It's, it's just, it's, I can shut my spasms off. I can raise or lower my blood pressure with the stimulation device. It, it's amazing. And so, I mean, not only am I taking way less medication because of all the, the indications that I can handle with electricity, but I don't have the, the, um, the hangover, the added effects of the drowsiness of all the medications that I was on before yeah. and able to train and, and do my exercises so much more often with more frequency. And I'm, I'm just a happier, healthier, stronger person because of it. So how does it work? Is it something where, see, I'm picturing that you're, you're in like, uh, a, the rehab facility or you're in a gym and they're sort of turning the dial on something. It sounds to me now that, that not only are you getting the benefits from it while you're working out a couple hours a day, but when you're home, I mean, you are you able to, to adjust this on your own so that, you know, if you're feeling away uh, in the apartment or where you live, that you can fix that or it'll help you around the house or is it all strictly in the hospital setting? Yeah. So I, I have free use of this thing at home. I'm not able to do the standing or the squats. You know, I, I need a team for that, that I need the re rehab setting, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I have off to do my respiratory, my blood pressure, my, my sleep, my core, uh, my voluntary movement of my legs. All these things I can do at any time that I want. And we, yeah. 
trip. And Jared is able to activate his core. And so when we do an eight-hour road trip, once we reach our destination, he's not totally exhausted like he was before because he's not just being thrown around in the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been really awesome. We can schedule a dinner once we get somewhere. You know, it's not just get me straight to the hotel so I can get out of my chair and start relaxing. You know, I still got gas in the tank when we get there and I can go I can go do something. And that is a game changer. Oh, without a doubt. Now, is it work with like, do you have like almost a, a not a clicker or something like a TV uh, clicker? How, how does it work? I mean, are, you, are there dials yeah. that you hit and you is it a big thing that you have to carry around with you? I have a, a tablet that I have to carry that is specific to now a, as this progresses, this should just be an app that's on my phone. Yeah. But because it's still experimental research, I have to have a specific research tablet. And then I have a communicator that connects to that. That's a, basically a security device. So just nobody with a tablet can't connect to my stimulator and you know, <laughs> have me punching yourself in the face, right? From across the yeah, bar. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but, but yeah, so it's, it's a, touchscreen tablet and actually release two is supposed to come out any day now i'm going to get a new tablet that's completely voice controlled mm. but right now it's all touchscreen on a android tablet and i i just click through the menus and i can adjust my settings so like if i wanted to do um let's say i want to cut my spasms off i would turn on my anti-spasticity program and then i can raise or lower the intensity depending on how my symptoms are and with all of my settings, if I raise it too high, I will start to get high blood pressure and start to get autonomic dysreflexia. Uh, so I have to be careful of that. But as soon as I bring the stem back down, the symptoms go away. Um, but I'm able to adjust that, the amplitudes independently and play with the effects. That's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's like... Um, we're in the future, we're, we're t 2023, but it sounds like we're well beyond that. I mean, that is unbelievable. Oh, exactly right. I say it all the time. I was like, well, one, I, I claim that I'm a cyborg. And, <laughs> and two, I, I, I tell people, I was like, well, we're living in the future. This yeah. is really cool. I'll be back, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. How about Skynet's go live? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How about I mean, everything sounds like it's amazing. Are there have there been any drawbacks? Have there been any like, oh gosh, let's you know, I don't know about this aspect of the whole thing that gives you pause. Well, I mean, with research, you know, there are times that I get uh randomized into a cohort that isn't so fun right now for respiratory. Um, I don't get to train. I just have to turn my simulator on for an hour a day and just kind of sit there. So that that's kind of boring when you get into those cohorts. Um, and then there are times like when you first get mad, sometimes your body kind of changes a little bit and whatever settings you had, they start losing their effectiveness. And then you have to, you know, get new settings. Yeah. But that that's that's a little more volatile at the beginning. And as you adjust to the stimulation, things level out a little bit. So I mean it is in the research phases. Things aren't perfect. They're figuring it out, mm -hmm. but no way would I give it up. And now how does one get the opportunity to try all this cutting edge therapeutic therapies? You got to register on victoryoverparalysis.com and it's just wait until your number calls. Okay. And 
I originally registered when I was still inpatient in Craig Hospital, and it was over three years until I got called down here to do just a short intake. Yes. And after the, the five day intake, they determined that I was eligible for three months of uh, just neuromuscular electrostimulation therapy. And I moved down here at that point, and then I just kept becoming eligible for different studies. And my goal was to just stay here until I got the epidural stimulator. Yeah. And that took six or seven years. Yes. You know, it happened. And is that, go ahead, Hannah, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, moral of that story is Jared did not get the program or the clinical trial that he was originally interested in. And that is, I think the number one question we get is regarding, you know, clinical trials. How do you get in? What's it like? How can I, you know, request different things? They're like, well, first of all, a clinical trial is not for you. It is for research. And so that has to be very clear and very understood yes. before jumping into this. And then second, you know, a lot of times you have to uproot your life and move to, you know, be closer to a facility that's offering whatever clinical trial you've been approved for. Right. And that's very difficult. And that is why we have been very, very excited about, you know, throwing community events, getting people together, because most of the people that are here for a clinical trial are from out of state. They've left their support, they have left their communities, and they're in this city that they don't know. And that's so difficult. Sure it is. And I've heard that, you know, from from what I hear up up my way, is that the University of Louisville is kind of like ground zero for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's where Dr. Harkema is conducting all her research right now. And so, yeah, we're, we're very lucky that we get to be the first people to do a lot of things mm-hmm. that are coming out. And how um, long do the how long is like a certain clinical trial? Does it last for weeks? Is it months? How, how long does that sort of thing go? They're all different. There's certain ones I get in that are just like a one day trial. But like the epidural stimulator, that was a two year commitment. Two so year commitment. Two years, yeah. That I've, that I've had with my trials um, and one day is the shortest. And where, Jared, in your body is the uh, the stimulator? Where do they place that? T10 area. Okay. Um, on the dura, right over uh, the dura part of the spinal cord. And then it's got a wire that runs to a little battery pack that's behind my right hip. Okay. So that when you're flying places, do you like set all the bells and whistles off? I mean, I got my <laughs> next few. I got both hips replaced. Ding, yeah, ding, I, ding, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> when they approach me with the wand, I'm like, you just checking to make sure it works. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the reason why all the flights are delayed, right, Hannah? It's all Jared's fault. Yeah, blame me with that on top of everything else. Oh, gosh, <laughs> blame it on the guy, the handicap guy. Oh, geez, he's keeping <laughs> us all from getting where we want to be. So, guys, tell me about Positively Paralyzed. Where did you come up with the idea and what do you hope to convey with it on your social media platforms? You know, I think we just came up with the idea when we, you know, like Hannah said, we know how lucky we are. And uh, we know how much we have benefited from a sense of community. And we just want to try to provide that and really throw ourselves into that. It's not just that we're trying to provide it. We're also trying to learn from everybody out there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been something that has really been beneficial for us, uh, especially other interabled couples. You know, I think especially Hannah, that's something she really identifies with is when she gets to talk to somebody else that's in her same position that care gives and also works and, you know, has a husband. And I love it when I get to talk to somebody else that's, you know, managing 
research and, and a wife and the same kind of responsibilities. It's just great to bounce ideas off and see how they're managing everything to hopefully help you do it better. Yeah. Is that the same? You feel the same way, Hannah? Yeah, absolutely. And it started, you know, just with when Jared was accepted into the epidural stimulator, the big idea study, he wanted to keep his community back home informed and up to date with what was going on. So we started a YouTube channel and everybody always tells Jared he is the most positive, uplifting guy. He's always happy. He's always, you know, on time to all of his PTOT. He's working out you know, eight hours a day and he's just the happiest guy. And so that's where we came up with the idea of the name. Like that's really where it originated. And yeah. I like the kind of, like I'm pot, like I'm definitely paralyzed. Like, right. Positively yeah. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, that's great. Yeah, we, we put a lot out there and we, we weren't really sure what to do with it. We didn't have a purpose except to show what Jared was doing. And right. then we got a little bit of traction with people, you know, reaching out to us. We started Zooming with families that were newly injured and we just really found our passion with it and our voice. And, you know, we felt like we could just do so much more for this community if we showed what we went through, both good and bad. Yeah. And also just trying to provide a safe space, a place where people can find different solutions or just ask questions that they feel may be stupid. But yep. even just for fully able-bodied people, just to educate them so they can advocate as well and know what we go through. Sure. Absolutely. Which leads me to this next question, uh, my second to last one. What is next for Jared and Hannah? What what is there is there anything now that you're working on? Um, is there is there more that you'd like to do social media wise? Is there a book? Is there a movie? I mean, who's going to play Jared in the movie? <laughs> Well, I mean, in the immediate future, we're going to be dog sledding and skiing in Utah next week. Oh, so wow. we're very excited about that. That is awesome. The, more, more for the long term, uh, you know, we are interested in starting a family. So that's something that we research and we're meeting with doctors. Um, but that's going to be a long journey for both of us. Mm -hmm. So, but that's definitely in our long term. And thankfully, that's all still doable uh, following spinal cord injuries, right? Absolutely. Yeah. My percentages actually aren't that much different from a healthy male. It's just going to take a little more science. Absolutely. And he has less of the problem than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's great. Well, yeah. And I think it's really interesting because we have seen, you know, an IF specialist and I've gone to specialists, but I have PCOS. So I've never been normal in terms of like my... TMI, everybody, but in, in terms of my, you know, menstrual cycle and things of that nature. And so it's, it's going to be really interesting. So we went for initial consult just to get an understanding of what our process would look like, yep. what the timeline would look like. If I had, if I was even an option for all of this, if I could bear children, you know, if everything checked out. And so we did all the testing on me and then Jared will be next, but we just wanted to understand what it looked like for our future with children. Yep. And um, yeah, I think we're excited to share I, as much as we can. You know, I feel, I already feel very emotional about all of it. It's, I don't understand how people go through multiple rounds. Like some families are just so strong right. and it is so difficult, that whole process. But we would love to share as much as we can just because I feel like this is a question that I had from day one. You totally. Know, that was always 
concerned. Yeah, well, you're going to have to keep all of us up to date on the positively paralyzed social media platforms because you've got us all intrigued now, and we're we're hoping that there's a a family that uh, that that is going to come from all of this and have a nice some offspring, as they like to say, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And that leads me into, Jared, my last question. And I'll tell you where this one came from. I was waiting in a long hallway at Kessler with, believe it or not, one of my best high school buddies. He's a guy that was two years ahead of me in high school. And unfortunately, he got banged up. He had a bad spinal cord injury and a a kneeboarding accident. And so the two of us are sitting in the hallway waiting to go in for a doctor's appointment. And there was a whole bunch of people all around us, but we were just kind of self-absorbed in our conversation. So I just said to him, his name is Tommy. I said, hey, T, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be perfectly able-bodied once again. What's the first thing you would do? And I looked over at him and I could see the smoke pouring out of his ears as he was trying to come up with an answer. And and from behind, I heard a woman say, I would go out and garden in my yard because I used to love gardening. And then there was a guy in front of us. He said, I would go into the garage and tinker with cars because I was always a car guy. And I thought, oh, I must be talking really loud. So um, I will put that question to you, Jared Nieder. If, if I could snap my fingers right now and you were completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing that you would do? I would save about $20,000 on IVF. <laughs> oh, that's I've never heard that one before. I've heard folks say I would stand in front of the toilet and pee like I used to. I had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. I'm sure you know Eric Legrand or know of who he is. Yeah, yeah we've met him. Yeah, Eric told me, John, I would go out my front door and run butt naked down the street. And so I've had that. I've had people say I would dance with my wife, but I haven't had the IVF answer. That's a good one. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Kind of like dancing. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like dancing is right. Well, oh, I tell you, Jared and Hannah Nieder, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on the Quadcast. It has been a pleasure to to follow you guys over social media for all these many months and to, to try and get a date on the calendar has been great. And now to finally have the opportunity to meet with you and uh, meet you and speak with you and tell your story to my audience. It has been a, uh, a great pleasure of mine. And I thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much, John. It was our pleasure. Yeah, we enjoyed this very much. Thanks, John. Was that a great episode or what? Thank you, Jared Nieder, for never giving up, for all that you do in the spinal stimulation trials, which will in turn benefit our entire community, and for being so open and honest with us today. And a big thank you to your bride, Hannah Nieder, for embracing the role of caregiving, which I know is not easy or glamorous. And special thanks to you for those of us who have endured spinal cord injuries for being a big, bright, beautiful example that despite a myriad of obstacles, it is still possible for us to find a partner in life following a tragic accident. And speaking of which, Hannah, if you wouldn't mind, please keep your eyes peeled for a woman who might be interested in meeting a nice mid-50s gentleman who happens to record a podcast but can't seem to get out of his own way. Asking for a friend, that is. Let's keep the thank you train rolling along, and I'll extend one to my Mixmaster General, Chris Parapesco, at Harbor Picture Company in New York City. Many thanks, Chris. You make the program sound as good as it does. And on behalf of Yoke and the Wonder Dog, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't know.